Well, good morning uh, to everybody. A good day to you. And glad that you're able to join us today for our online sermon on this Resurrection Sunday. Well, what, has, what has struck me so powerfully about the fact that while we are under lockdown, the Holy Spirit is never under a lockdown. The Holy Spirit uh, is at work in people's lives all over their show, in their homes, or wherever they happen to be, staying with friends, uh, boarding somewhere else. But the Holy Spirit is able to minister to us wherever we are today. And so I'm going to ask you, as we begin this message this morning, to ask you to pray with me. And we are going to invite, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to minister to each one of us, to speak to each one of us, to make us aware of what God is saying and what God wants to do in each one of our lives. So won't you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we, we praise you this morning that you are never confined by any lockdown. You're never confined by a prison. You're never confined geographically. You have freedom to move and to work in the hearts of people wherever they may be. And this morning, Lord, I want to pray for each person that is listening to this message. I pray, Father, that you will minister to them by your Spirit, that they will hear what you are saying. Lord, that there would, there would be that wonderful uh, move in their hearts where they just know and sense the Lord himself is speaking to me. So, Holy Spirit, may this be a special time that we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about the resurrection and in particular why we believe the resurrection actually happened. That's the, the theme of, of what we're speaking about this Resurrection Sunday, why we believe in the resurrection. We want to talk, I want to talk about why we believe the resurrection actually happened because uh, of all of the things that have happened in the life of Jesus, the resurrection is the one that attracts the most skepticism. So many people are skeptical about the resurrection. But we also want to talk about how the resurrection shaped the ministry and the message of the church. That will be the second part of what I want to talk about this morning. Now, as we begin to read the gospel accounts of uh, the resurrection of Jesus, you will discover that the very first witnesses of the resurrection, uh, the very first witnesses who began to proclaim the resurrection were initially very skeptical that the resurrection had even taken place. And uh, I want us to pick that up from uh, one of the Gospels, Luke's Gospel, and uh, chapter 24. And we know that uh, Luke has done uh, some very careful uh, study and investigation before he tables his account and so in Luke 24, we have one of the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, this is very significant. 
Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified. And on the third day to rise again. And then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But the apostles did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. And the first thing that we want to look at this morning is what changed the minds of the people who were so skeptical about the resurrection of Jesus? What is it that, that made people who were quite skeptical, even when they heard reports of the resurrection, uh, even when these women came to them and spoke about the resurrection, what changed their minds? What made them so absolutely convinced that they were willing, virtually willing to lay their lives down because of what they believed? And there are two primary things. And the first one that I want us to look at is, is the personal appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. You remember Mary Magdalene was, was one of those women. She was one of the devoted followers of Jesus. And we discover Mary Magdalene outside of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene is distraught. And the reason she is distraught is because she believes that somebody has stolen the body of Jesus. The Apostle John puts it like this. Mary stood out the outside the tomb crying and as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus body had been one at the head and the other at the foot and they asked her woman why are you crying and listen to her response they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him she was absolutely convinced this close follower of Jesus, she'd been delivered of demons, absolutely convinced that somebody had stolen the body. Somebody had moved the body of Jesus. When three women go to the disciples that we read about in Luke's gospel a little bit early on, now I want you to just for a moment imagine what has taken place over here. These three women go, they've got their spices, they're going to anoint the body of Jesus and prepare the body of Jesus. And they arrive at this tomb and they've been talking amongst themselves and saying, well, we wonder who's going to actually move the stone, the stone, this massive stone that is now sealing the tomb. Who's going to move that? And they arrive there and the, the stone has been moved. And they cautiously venture inside of the tomb. And when they venture inside of the tomb, the tomb is actually empty. And on top of that, they see what you and I would call two angels, these beings in shiny clothes, who begin to speak to them and say to them that Jesus is no longer there because he has risen from the dead. And can you imagine this? These, these frightened women who've, who've never had an encounter with an angel in their lives before, seeing what has happened, the stone moved away. 
rushing back to the disciples, trembling with fear and awe, and telling them what has happened. And the disciples' response, they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. <laughs> Fundamentally, what they were saying to these three women that came back and told them the, the account of, of what had happened to them, they said, stop talking rubbish. You, you, this is absolutely impossible. You remember the account that we have of Thomas. And uh, what had happened is, is, is Jesus uh, had appeared to the other disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And so when they recount to them the, the, their experience of meeting with Jesus and that they'd met with Jesus, Thomas says, there is no way that I'm going to believe you. Absolutely no way. In fact, he says to them, unless I put my fingers in the nail prints and my hand in his side, I'm not willing to believe that. I want hard proof. And it's interesting that the people who had the greatest reservations about the resurrection of Jesus changed their mind once they had all the evidence they needed to be absolutely sure that Jesus had risen. Just think of, of Mary who, who personally meets Jesus in the garden. She's in the garden. She's outside of the tomb. And, and, and there she bumps into somebody in the garden. And she's so convinced that somebody's stolen the body of Jesus. She thinks this is the gardener. And she, she says to the gardener, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go and get him. And Jesus turns to her and says to her that one word, Mary. And as he says her name, she realizes that the person standing in front of me is none other than Jesus herself. And she cries it out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Deeply impacted, deeply transformed as she realizes that Jesus has in fact risen from the dead. When Jesus appears to his disciples, it's very interesting what he does. He doesn't sit down with them and introduce himself or say, do you remember me? He says, I want to show you the scars in my body. You see, that's the one thing that would have convinced the disciples when they saw the scars in his hand and the scars in, in his side. And so when he speaks to them, he shows them his hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Here, here these men are convinced as they have this personal encounter with Jesus as they see the scars. A whole week later, after this appearance, Jesus appears to Thomas. And uh, you remember what Thomas said, I want hard proof. I want hard evidence. Even though you are all convinced and really excited that you've seen Jesus, I need some hard proof. I need to put my fingers, my own fingers in the nail prints. I need to put my own hand in his side. Only then am I willing to believe. And as Jesus comes and appears to Thomas, that's the very thing that Jesus says to him. He says, okay, Thomas, you wanted hard proof. Put your, your fingers here in the nail prints. Put your hand in my side. Here's all the hard proof you need. And you know what I like about Thomas? Thomas wasn't prepared to just accept anybody's word for it. He wanted personal proof for himself. He was one of those guys 
Uh, like many of you, you're saying, like, we, I want hard proof that Jesus is alive. And you know, all the eyewitness accounts that we have today are from all the people who did not expect Jesus to rise from the dead. In, the, in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul himself uh, speaks about uh, the resurrection appearances of Jesus. And he says, that, he says that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at once. And you know, it's very easy to convince one person on a one-on-one -on -one when you're talking to them. But when you've got a whole crowd in front of you, it's way more difficult. And Jesus appears at, at one, to 500, more than 500 people at the same time. The Bible says that he appeared to Peter. Why is that so significant? Well, you remember that Peter was the person who denied him in the gardens, denied him flat out. I don't even know this man, says Peter. He, it says that, that he appeared to, to the disciples. It says that he appeared to his own brother, James. If you can convince your own brother that you're alive, you need to know there is adequate proof that you're alive. And let me read to you what, what Paul says as he's uh, reporting to the Corinthian believers. He said, I passed on to you what was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And here it is, and that he appeared to Peter. And then to the twelfth. And then after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living. What's his point is, if you want to go and check up on the resurrection, go and speak to one of these people who saw him. Then he appeared to James. And then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born so so the reason i share this with you this morning is these weren't people who were who were who were trying to convince everybody else that jesus had risen because there was an empty tomb these were people who themselves were skeptical who themselves didn't really believe that the resurrection had taken place and it was only through hard proof and the personal appearances of jesus that they were willing to believe but another one of the key reasons uh, one of the key things that changes their minds is when they discovered that the resurrection was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. You see, it was Jesus' intention that, that his followers would have irrefutable evidence, not only that the resurrection had happened, but the resurrection was the fulfillment of God's plan. That he wanted them to know that the crucifixion and the resurrection was part of the plan of God for mankind, where God was reconciling mankind to himself through the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus, we discover, appears to two of his disciples who were journeying on what is called the Emmaus Road. And they were discouraged and they were, were, were disappointed because of what had happened. And they're kind of talking to one another and he joins them as they're walking along. And he asked them, well, why are you so disappointed? And why, so, uh, why are you so discouraged? And they said to him, well, haven't you heard what's happened? Everybody knows what's happened. How Jesus has been crucified. And then Jesus begins to speak to them himself. And he says, how foolish you are. 
and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, their sacred writings concerning himself. And as he does that, their eyes begin to open. They realize, they begin to realize who they are speaking to. You remember when he appeared to his troubled disciples, disappointed, discouraged. Many of them had seen what had happened and had now run away and fled. And, and now he comes and he appears to them. And he enables them to understand what their own sacred writings had said about him. If I can use this phrase, he joined the dots for them so that they were able to understand. And in Luke 24, we read, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You see, Jesus wanted them to be clear that what had happened when he was crucified and what had happened when they discovered the tomb was empty and that he was risen he had risen, was the plan of God for mankind. So, so, so those are some of the reasons that uh, we believe today in the resurrection, because we have witnesses who themselves were doubtful, and yet they con were convinced by the personal appearances of Jesus to them, and also as they came to understand the teachings of the Old Testament but then we want to go on to examine how the resurrection shaped the ministry and the message of the early church. And it has done so right up until today. And there are four ways in which the resurrection of Jesus has shaped the message and the ministry of the church. And the first is that the crucifixion and the resurrection are central to the message of the church. You see, the message of the church is one of forgiveness. The message of the church is one of wholeness and the one of freedom. But all of those are through Jesus. Let me read to you an account we have of what happened in the book of Acts. And, and I want to read to you in particular from the book of Acts because we discover what the disciples were saying and what the apostles were preaching right after the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, in Luke chapter, uh, so, sorry, in, in Acts chapter 3, we discover this account of Peter and John going up to the temple to pray at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And there they encounter a lame man, and many of you know the story of how that lame man was wonderfully healed. And, and this, of course, draws the attention 
of, of, of the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law because they didn't want this big crowd following Peter and John. And in Acts chapter 4, we read the account of what happened. It says the next day the rulers, the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them. Here's their question. By what power or name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness, shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And here's their message. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That's, the, that's their experience. That, that's what happens as they begin to share the message of the church. Now let me read to you uh, uh, and encounter somebody else that many of us know about. His name was John Wesley. Had and how his life was transformed by the message of the gospel. The account goes like this on the 24th of May, 1738. It says, In the evening, I unwillingly went to a society in Aldersgate Street where someone was reading Luther's preface to Romans. At about quarter to nine, that's how specific it gets. I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins and even mine. And he had saved me from the law of sin and of death. You see, that's the Christian message. And the message has been shaped by the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. But the resurrection has also impacted and shaped the ministry of the church. Let me remind you of that same story that I was referring to a few minutes ago in, in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are on the way to the temple. There they meet this lame man. And this lame man is, is wanting, he is begging, he's wanting money from them. And money is the one thing that they actually don't have. And so they say to him, well, we don't have any money and we don't have any finances, but this is what we do have. We know the resurrection of Jesus and the power that raised Jesus from the dead. We are familiar with these things. And so we want to give to you what we carry in our lives, what has been entrusted to us. And they turn to him and they say to him, look at us. And as he looks at them, they say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And you know, an amazing thing happened in those moments. A man who had never walked in his life because he was, he was lame from birth. 
They, they take him and they help him to stand up, obviously because his legs are so weak. And all of a sudden, strength goes into his legs. And suddenly he has this ability, miraculously has the ability to start leaping and jumping and walking and running around. And this man is blown away. And of course, what happens is a crowd begins to gather around them. And Peter and John are really concerned that people are starting to look to them as being miracle workers, people who can do miracles. And they silence the crowd and they say this to the crowd. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name. And the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you now can see. You know what's interesting about the church and the ministry of the church? It is not dependent on money and material resources. The ministry of the church revolves around what Jesus continues to do because Jesus is still alive. And the power of God is still at work through his people and through their lives. And friends, one of the most encouraging things for me as a pastor has been to see the power of God at work in people's lives. That's why I pray for people. That's why I minister to people. That's why I speak to people. Because I know that same power that's, that's been at work in the lives of other people is also at work in my life. In my life. I remember some years ago, we had a man in our church and it was discovered from working in the asbestos mines in, in the early years of his life that he had contracted asbestosis, which you know is a, is a very serious de debilitating disease. And this had been documented, they had x-rayed his lungs. And as he shared that with me, he said, John, I'm going for some more tests um, this week and won't you pray for me? And there I just stood and prayed for God's healing in his body. And about a week later, I was blown away when that same man said, after I went for my x-rays. And I asked the technician to, to, to tell me what had come through on the x-rays. They said, we can't do that. Only the doctor's allowed to do that. And he says, I went into the doctor's rooms. He held up that x-ray and he says, I don't know what's going over here, but it's absolutely gone. You have been healed from asbestosis. You see, that's the power of Jesus because Jesus is risen and his life was transformed. But you know, the resurrection has also given new meaning to what it means to be forgiven. After the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. A huge crowd begins to gather around the disciples and, and Peter begins to speak to them and address this crowd. And this is what he says to them. Let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And listen to Peter's response. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. 
and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who were called on the name of the Lord. And you know, when you know what it is to be, to feel the shame of sin, to, to sense the struggle that some people have with shame and the embarrassment of what they've done and, 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 and what has happened in their lives, you will understand what it means to be truly forgiven. I remember the story and the account we have in the New Testament of a woman. She was probably a prostitute. She had used her body to make a living. And then she had met with Jesus and encountered Jesus. And she is so overwhelmed with thankfulness that she takes a, a jar of perfume, probably the most precious possession that she had. And she breaks this jar of very expensive perfume. The Bible tells us maybe a year's wages. And she pours it over the feet of Jesus and she takes her hair and she begins to wipe her feet. And her tears are just running as she, as she is as she is expressing her thanks to Jesus. Friends, that's what the forgiveness of God accomplishes. It brings a joy. It brings a freedom. It brings the knowledge I no longer have to live with my shame. But then the resurrection of Jesus also launched an unprecedented outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, <coughs> pardon me, reminded uh, his disciples before the crucifixion and before the resurrection. He says, I must go so that the Spirit of God can come. And here we have this incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It resulted in these believers having an incredible, if I can use the word, unspeakable joy. People being who were empowered by the Holy Spirit. People who had a relationship with God that was so real, it was almost tangible for them. And we read about that in Acts chapter 2. As the Holy Spirit fell upon these early believers, and for the first time, they discovered what it was like to receive the fullness and the empowering of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And it transformed them. It empowered them. They were never the same again after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You know, I remember, remember years ago in my own life, going to the Lord and saying, God, I've read about this in the Bible. I've heard about the outpouring of the Spirit, but I've never discovered that for myself. And I prayed a very simple prayer. Lord, won't you help me? Won't you do a new thing in my life? Won't you strengthen me and make this journey with you more real than it's ever been before? And God answered my prayer. I remember how my life changed, how my desire for the Bible and to read the Bible changed, how my prayer life changed, how there came upon me an incredible boldness to share my faith and tell people about Jesus, the crucifixion and resur resurrection of Jesus and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And as we wrap up today, 
I want to leave with you this message of the resurrection of Jesus and why we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But there may be some of you that are listening to me right now who are saying, John, I would like to put my faith and trust in Jesus. And you know, it's not a, it's not a difficult thing to do that. It is a decision you make. It is a decision you make to say, Lord, I've sinned. I've done my own thing. I've lived without you. But I want to surrender my life to you. I want to invite you to come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to become one of your followers, one of your disciples. And I will lead you in prayer in a minute and you will be able to do that. But there may be those of you today who are saying, John, I, I'm struggling with sickness. And the, I, I would love God just to touch my life and to bring healing in my body. Well, even as you're listening to me on this broadcast service, I'm going to pray for you and invite you to trust God for healing in your body. There may be those of you who are saying, I just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit and experience the Holy Spirit at work in my life in a fresh and a new way. Well, that can be yours as well this morning. And so I invite you as we close off to pray with me. If it is your desire to commit your life to the Lord today, to call on the Lord and say, God, I want to be one of the followers of Jesus. Simply pray this prayer, dear Lord, I thank you that you died in my place. Lord, I thank you that you rose and as you rose from the dead, you had victory over sin and you had victory over death and you had victory over the grave. And I want to invite you today to be my Lord and my Savior. I desire to follow you. I pray that you'll forgive me of my sins. But from today, God, I want my life to be a life of surrender to you. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Maybe there's, you have a desire for prayer, for healing this morning. I would love to be able to pray for you. I want to encourage you if there's a particular area of your body which you would like prayer for, just place your hand on that part of your body, maybe an ear, maybe an eye. And let's ask God to come and bring healing in your body because that's what can happen today. So Lord, I pray for those. I pray for those who deeply desire the healing touch of Jesus in their lives. Where because of the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of the name of Jesus, that sickness will go and healing and restoration of their body will come. I pray for those, Lord, who, who struggled many years with, with maybe uh, with, 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 with deep depression. I pray for those, Lord, who have struggled uh, uh, to, to cope. And, and Lord, I just want to pray in the name of Jesus today. Will you release them? Will you set them free? Lord, will you allow them to experience the power and the ministry of Jesus in their lives today? And Lord, Lord, there are those who are longing for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be, to be baptized in the Spirit and with the Spirit. And Lord, I pray for them today as they by faith say, Lord, come and fill me. Will you do what you did for those early believers? Come and fill them with your spirit. Come and empower their lives. And I pray that today in Jesus' name. Amen.
I thank you for joining with me uh, on this Resurrection Sunday. And I pray that God will bless you and God will be with you in your homes or wherever you may be during the course of this week. In Jesus' name, amen.